thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, we're, we're excited to share some of this stuff with you, and, and the fact that everybody is here is really exciting. It's a good problem to have. So let's pray, and then we will hopefully get rolling. Pray with me, guys. Father, you are so amazing, and we are so thankful for the God that you are. Uh, we're thankful that we have a church who is excited to come and hear about ways to better take care of the people around them, Father. Uh, we have been commissioned by you to go into the world, and whether that is with other people from church or, or people from work or friends of the family or whomever it is, God, we are so excited to learn how to better take care of them in a way that is going to point them to you. So, Father, I pray that you would be with Josh and I tonight as we try to uh, relay some of the things that have been on our hearts. Uh, I pray that you would speak through us and that it would be your words and not ours. And, God, I pray that, that we can help everybody in this room to get excited, to get excited about the amazing things that you're doing, uh, to get excited about the problem of you sending us so many people, Father, not just tonight, but, but on Sundays, and, and you have to continue to send people to our church family, and we are so blessed and so thankful for that problem. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So by the way, tonight's content is not exclusive to small groups. The stuff we're going to talk about tonight is for anyone who finds him or herself in any level of leadership. This is going to be applicable if you are a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a coach, an employer, if you're a manager, if you're a special servant at this church, if you're a small group leader or participant, it doesn't matter. This is going to be stuff I think that will help you. So, well, here's what we're going to do tonight. Part of the thing we want you to get out of this is although we're not able to sit around tables and talk and look at each other face to face, this is a family. We want to know each other, not simply serve next to each other. So let me give you two things. If you don't get anything else out of our time this week and next, let me give you two Goals. This should be on your handout, but I want you to see it and hear it as well. Number one, our goal is to help you see your small group as the primary provider of, and we're going to unpack this, this phrase in a moment, but the primary provider of pastoral care for those in your group. We want you to see your small group not simply as an appendage of life, but the centerpiece of spiritual life. The second thing, our goal is to, as best we can, and, and with the limited experience and knowledge that any of us may have, we want to convey what we can and empower and equip you to know how to accomplish making your group more and more of a, a hub of pastoral care and growth. You keep saying, okay, what's that phrase mean? I'm going to step back, let Evan explain that phrase, and we're going to get into some very practical tools here in just a moment. You want to take it? Yeah, and I think it's super important for us to remember, when you hear the word group, yes, we're talking about small groups, but we're also talking about the group that you may have of friends at work, the group that you have, um, if your kids play ball, you are spending a lot of time at the ball field. So everyone has a group, whether it's a small group here at church, Maybe a better way to say that is everyone has a circle of influence. We have these people in our lives that we interact with all the time. So when you hear the word group, I want you to think of it as a format. Think of it as a tool because that, that's kind of how we think about it here. You know, when Josh was asking you guys, you know, to, to kind of huddle up for a second, talk about all the things this summer, we very well could have done that from up here and we could have asked out to the crowd and we would have a few responses, but probably not near as much participation as 
you guys had because you kind of circled it up. So we know that there are things in life that the format of groups just does better than other formats. And in fact, you know, over the next couple Sundays, Josh is going to get into some of this. Uh, the way he kind of phrases is phrases it is circles are better than rows, and I know he'll, he'll do a good job of that. But pastoral care, all right, let's be honest, pastoral care is a pretty churchy word, right? I mean, it's just a word that you typically don't have in normal conversation um, unless you work at a church. I don't typically, you know, go home and say, hey, Rachel, have you been cared for pastorally today? That's just not something that we do. That's not something that we say a lot. So... Talk about great pillow talk, I know, right? right? <laughs> There's, there is no segue to, from there to that, but... You're welcome. You're, thank you. So, pastoral, pastoral care, I think the most simple definition would be leading a person or group, all right, leading a person or group to take their next step emotionally and spiritually. Leading a person or group to take their next step emotionally and spiritually. Josh, talk to us a little bit about why those two yeah. play off each other or how they play off each other. Let's, let's do it this way. How many of you are familiar with the old wood slat buckets? Any of you remember the old wood slat buckets? It's a bucket that has wood slats all around five, All five of them are familiar with it. Okay. <laughs> Well, pretend with me that you're familiar with a wood slap bucket. Basically, uh, and I remember at my grandfather's house, he had a couple of old wood slap buckets. It was just pieces of wood, vertical pieces of wood that they would attach together. Usually there was a metal ring or something that would hold it. Is this now ringing a bell for anyone? And you carry that around. This was before all the plastic buckets and all. Now, here's the thing about a wood slap bucket. A wood slap bucket and I, I just so happen to have one here. There are four slats here, and, and I want you to sort of consider your life as a wood slat bucket in this way. There are four dimensions of life. You have your physical life, your physicality, right? Your, your body. Uh, you have the emotional part of your life, you, the mental portion of your life, how you think, operate, consider things, your intellect, your reasoning abilities. And then the fourth one is spirit. So Physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Obvious point here. If you want to fill up the wood slat bucket, you can raise the water to whatever the lowest slat height. Here's what I mean by this. If they're all equal height, you can raise the water to that height, correct? But what happens... By, by the way, these four elements, doesn't Jesus say something about that when he talks about the love we ought to have with God, that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength? Those are the four elements we're talking about here. And so when you think about it, if we were to take one of the slats and simply lower it, all of a sudden the water does not float like that anymore, does it? This is an obvious point, but what ends up happening is the water actually lowers and it will spill out to the lowest point. Here's why this is so important. Sometimes in church, when we think about being a Christ follower, we limit our thinking only to spiritual. Do I know my Bible? Do I do spiritual activities? And we do not consider the other aspects, for instance, emotional. But you will only ever grow 
to the height of the lowest of those four, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Does this make sense so far? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think a good way to think about this is everybody probably knows someone who, they may have grown up in church, I mean, they know the Bible forwards and backwards, they know the things that you are supposed to do to follow Jesus, right? But when life throws them a curveball, they go to pieces. And so, in an emotional standpoint, you know, they don't have the emotional capacity, I guess you could say, to put that knowledge into action. And, and vice versa, you know, you may know someone at work who handles stress just incredibly well. Like, whatever happens, they can just roll with it, and it's really impressive. Yet, they don't know who Jesus is. They don't have any context for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so, you know, therefore, we would say that they are someone who would need to grow spiritually. And so it's, it's interesting how one caps the other. And so tonight we are going to focus on how we can help lead people take their next steps on the emotional side of things. And next week we're going to focus on how to help people take their next steps on the spiritual side of things. Sound good? Okay, because that's the plan regardless. But, um, and one thing, one thing I want to say before we jump into this, um, when you get two ministers on stage, it can get bad. Um, that's not what I wanted to say. When the reason this is so important, and this is a great problem to have, the reason all this is so important is because God just keeps sending us people. I mean, truly, God keeps sending us people, and he keeps sending us out into our community. And you know, why is that a, a, a bad problem? Well, it's, it's actually a really, really good problem in the sense that God apparently trusts this church family. God could send people to anywhere in this church, but somehow through happenstance, through connections, through whatever it may be, God is choosing to send them here. And almost every church, it gets to the point into their life where this important shift has to happen. And that shift is we focus on letting the church as a whole, not just the ministers, not just the elders, not just the special servants, but all of us as a whole start to be responsible for taking care of these people that God is sending us. Because, I mean, it's, it's simple math, right? The few who are lucky enough to get paid to work on Sundays and Wednesdays, and that's all that we ever work, um, we, you know, it's impossible for us to to take care. And, and, and you guys understand that. You guys who are in the business world, you, you know how, you know, a certain amount of people underneath the supervision of one person, if that grows too big, you're not really taking care of each other. And so, guys, this is exciting. It's, it's exciting that God trusts our church family enough to continue to send us people and more people and more people. And, and as he does that, then we get the amazing job of start to, to pour into their lives to help lead them to take their next steps, uh, however that looks like for them. Does that, does that make sense? That's kind of the context where we're coming from tonight. So, as I get my drink, um, let's talk just a little bit about leading someone to take their next step emotionally. One of the first ways to do this, right? Thank you, Vanna. One of the first ways to do this is to be present. To be present. Josh will never let me on stage with him on Sunday morning, I promise. Um, it's all over. <laughs> when, you, when you hear the phrase, be present, what, what comes to your mind? Please raise your hand. That school's back. Ken, what comes to your mind? <laughs> um, a 
Okay. And the focus of that was take your attention and all the other things that are going on with you and put those aside and focus on what's in front of you. Mm. Yeah, you ever, you ever uh, see someone maybe in church or another place, they'll be talking to a person, but as they're talking, they're doing this. Yeah, that's great. And they're looking around. Being present is putting the other things aside. That's good. That's good. So, so the idea here, right, we want to create this expectation that we are there for people. And, and one of the most important ways, probably the best way we can do that is to be present uh, in their lives. And I am super, super guilty of this. I've probably said it a hundred times this week, but it's this idea of getting away from the phrase, let me know what you need. What could potentially be wrong with the idea of saying to someone, hey, hey, just let me, let me know what you need. They're, they're not going to tell you. Yep. You can do that. Um, it, it puts the responsibility on the person you're trying to be present for, right? And so, and, and more often than not, as we know, we are not... Most likely someone asks me that, I say, okay, I'll definitely let you know for sure. And I never tell them, I'm not going to do that. And so it's this idea from shifting away from let me know what you need to the idea of I'll be there, just period. Making it the expectation that you will be there and that they know that, that they know when, when something happens in life and they talk to you about it, that the responsibility isn't going to be on them to follow up with you and say, actually, you know, I really need you to help me with this, but that you will be there. And, and there's two pretty simple ways uh, I think that we can be present here. Yeah, the first one is, of course, show up when it's expected. Show up when it's expected. Let's, uh, let's just take a quick moment here as you're thinking about this. What is an example? Uh, and this does not have to be group life. This could be family life. This could be business, it could be any, any sphere of influence, but give me an example of a time when it is expected for you or for someone to show up. What would be an example of that? A funeral, a funeral. yeah. Uh, if someone in your immediately family dies, it might be a good idea to show up, right? Okay, so that's good. What's another one? Weddings. Weddings, but only if you come bearing gifts, correct? <laughs> okay, but yeah, weddings. Good. So funerals, weddings. What, what else? Dinner time. Dinner time. Absolutely. You, you would show up to dinner time, Charlie, Charlie. I like it. That's good. That's just wisdom speaking. Here, here's here's the big three when it comes to ministers. What I was told is the three. Uh, you know, it's it's births, baptisms, and burials. Now, weddings, I can't come up with maybe brides, but whatever, okay? So, but, but there are moments where it is expected that you show up. When you think about the expectation of showing up, a couple things that come from this. Number one, it gives your people a filter for when to be there. When you show up at expected times, you are giving them a physical filter, an example of what it looks like to be present. How many of us learn things by the actions of others. It starts at a young age, doesn't it? But it doesn't stop when we grow up. We still look to one another for uh, what is appropriate, what's not appropriate. The other thing is, is that it establishes the culture when you show up at appropriate times. So in group life, let's just talk there for a moment. Uh, some of you are group leaders. Others of you are group participants. 
I have seen in many groups where the participants are at least as influential as the leader because the participants will show up, they're true blue, the group Lindsay and I have the privilege of serving and being part of, there's a couple couples in there that even if we can't make it, they'll be there. And they have set a culture of expectation that says this is so important that there is nothing that will get us away from this group time. So showing up at the expected time sets a culture of expectation. So here's what I want you to do. Take just a moment. We're going to give you about 45 seconds real quick. But I want you to turn to some of those same people you talked to a moment ago. And I want you to explore what are some other examples, perhaps in group life, church life, whatever realm you want, other examples of times that you are expected to show up. See if you can come up with a list. You got about 45 seconds, go. Five more seconds. Okay, what are a couple, what are a couple of the other expected times uh, that you guys came up with? Give me an example. What's that? Yeah, you, well, yeah, your job. <laughs> that is a great expected time to show up. Good, good. Your job. What else? At school, right? If we're in school, you're an example in that realm as well. What else? Practices. Okay. G- give me an example. Sports. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, by the way, are coaches or teammates a part of a small group? Absolutely. Let me say something to you. When we talk about group life, yes, we often think about within the church, but you understand that you have numerous small groups throughout this city, and your job is to be a missionary within those circles. One of the ways you gain the moral authority to share the gospel of Jesus with them is to be present when it's expected to be there. I think it's great. Yeah. Any other examples? What do you got? One or two more. What's that? Uh, that is a great one. And maybe it's not a spoken expectation, but we all know that there, within your sphere of influence, if someone is having a health crisis, you're there, right? Wait, give me one more. I heard one over here. A promise of, of time and a place. Something you, you said you would do. Yeah, if you say you'll be there. By the way, when Jesus said, let your yes be what? Yes. And your no be He is talking about integrity. A Christian is cautious about making commitments because a Christian knows that he or she must always fulfill one's commitments. And so if you say you'll be there, that's an expected time. Very good. Okay. There's one other uh, sort of time about being present. Evan, want to walk us through that? Yeah. So you guys are smart. You can probably figure this out. If the first one is to show up when it is expected, what do you think the second one is? To show up when it is un... Okay, what, what does that look like? Showing up when it's un... And we're not talking about, like, randomly showing up at somebody's house at dinner time where they'll feed you, which I think is what Mr. Charlie was talking about earlier. But what... Like, what, when you hear showing up when it's unexpected, what, what comes to mind? What could be sometimes in life that someone may still need you to be present, but they're not like these, you know, these monumental... What was your three Bs? Birth... Baptism and burials and betrothals. Betrothals. You're welcome. <clears throat> hey, would you like thank to you, thank you. this Sunday? Not at all. Got it. Um, so what, what are some of those maybe more or less expected times, I guess, more subtle times in life where someone might need you to be present? Yes, sir. Some neighbors have uh, like emergencies or some need. 
when they were severed magic, or yeah, or or anything, you know, their grass is too tall, and you don't cut it just because it's bugging you. You cut it, you cut it to help. Sherry. That is fantastic. I mean, you know, and I think so often we think, oh, I don't want to go with them because they may not want me there. But of course, no one's going to ask you to come to those situations. And I guarantee you, if you show up, even if they ask you to leave, they're going to feel amazing about the fact that you were present for them. What else? What else might be an unexpected time? Somebody's children's sporting event or musical event. That's good. I, I, I loved it when people would randomly show up to things when I, when I was growing up, whether it be my youth minister or just you know family, friends. It, it was so neat to have people show up when it was unexpected. And so you know, there's this idea, if, if showing up when it is expected establishes the culture, showing up when it is unexpected solidifies the culture, right? It, it makes it a lot more real for the people who, who are involved. And so what that does is it helps the people in your circle of influence, in your small group, whatever it may be, it helps them to begin to be more intentional to every single week think about who needs me to be present? Who needs me to show up? How can I be present for so-and-so in this group? Um, you know, one thing that, uh, another way I thought about today is this is the first day of school um, and parents are stressed and kids are stressed, but definitely teachers who have kids are, are super stressed. And, and, you know, there's been times where I know groups have in the past, you know, just during the first week of school, randomly brought a, a teacher dinner one night. Just, hey, you don't have to do anything. I want you to be able to have this and enjoy it. So circle up for a second again. Think about some things, some other ways, some other situations where you might show up for someone where it may not be as expected, not these huge things, but what are some other ways that, that we can get better at showing up for people when it's unexpected. 45 seconds, circle up and talk. All right, about five seconds. All right, what, what did you guys come up with? What are some other ways that we can help people to, to see maybe a good situation to show up when it is unexpected? Yes, sir. Ooh, moving. We are. Our house is under contract, just so you guys know. So I'll be calling on you. Lisa? Heart trouble? Car trouble. I think it's heart trouble. Heart trouble, too, I think would be one. Yeah. But yeah, car trouble. Um, making sure that people get to where they need to go. It's super important. What else? Yes, ma'am. In this day and age, we don't go to each other. Sometimes a text in the middle of the day just really makes your day Ooh. And, and doesn't it always just happen at the right time? Absolutely. I think that's a great point. You know, one thing I like about that is when we talk about being present because of technology, you do not actually, in every case, have to physically be there. But physicality, I think, is better. But in lieu of that, a text, an email, a carrier pigeon with a message, whatever you want to do. I think that's a great example, though. And, and especially notes, right? I mean, when is the last time you've gotten a handwritten note? I, I think it was eighth grade for me, right? I mean, you just... People don't write notes anymore, and it means a lot. Amy? Do you love me? Check yes or no. Is that what you mean, handwritten? Yes. No. Okay, go ahead. What were you going to say, Amy, before Josh really interrupted? <laughs> mm -hmm. That's awesome. Good job, Anna Sharf. Can everybody just give Anna a round of applause to, to embarrass her? More. <clears throat>
No, but, it, but, it, but that's, that's a great example. And that's not, and honestly, those are things that we don't think about to do for someone unless we're intentional about it. And that's the big thing here is, is that intentionality. And as we model that for people, as we model intentionality, man, I mean, how cool would it be to have an entire group of people who wo- wakes up on Monday morning and just says, who can I be present for this week? Like, what is going on in the life of the people who I interact with? And how can I be more present for them? So, number one is to be present. And the second one is to be safe. You know, as we get into this next one, I want to pause and consider something that we're demonstrating here. Do you remember Jesus' words when he says, Do unto as you would do unto every bit of this. When you just think about your weekly routine and the moments that you would like or wish someone would be present, this gives us, I think, a very clear filter. Sometimes we complicate things when all we have to do is consider those moments when the presence of another person mattered to us. That actually, I think, is helpful for this next category as well when we talk about the idea of being safe. Again, we're giving you sort of two tools for your tool belt when it comes to being an exceptional leader, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your ball team, your group, wherever it may be. The first one is be present. The second one is be safe. Be safe. Now, when we think about being safe, sometimes this gets a bad rap because it seems uh, seems wimpy. Guys, you know, you hear people talk about being safe. and like, I don't want to be safe. I want to be a man. I mean, that's sort of the thought. When we talk about being safe, I want you to consider the words of Jesus when he talks about meekness. Go with me here for a second. When he talks about meekness, the word meek does not connotate weak, does not mean safe in that sense. The idea when Jesus talks about those who are meek as those being blessed are those who are, the the illustration is of a standing army. Think about the United States. Pick any one of the four branches, five branches, whatever. You pick any group of our soldiers. They are the toughest, best equipped. They have the military might to level any opposing force, but they are safe insofar as they are strength under control. When you are a leader, you are strength, but you have found ways to make it a controlled strength so that those who are around you feel like they're able to let their guard down. Let's kind of walk through a couple practical things on this point. Number one, uh, when we talk about being safe, you cannot care for the needs of people. You cannot care for the needs of people. I'll say this again. You cannot care for the needs of people who do not feel safe enough to tell you what they're dealing with. Have you ever been in a group, and I'm going to give you two thoughts here. Don't, don't raise your hand, don't answer. I just want you to think, though. Have you ever been in a group where the, the relationships were, were just so life-giving? People felt like they could talk about, share anything. The biggest, hairiest, most grizzled guy in the group could cry, and he knew it was safe. You ever seen those kind of groups? On the other hand, I'm afraid many of us have also seen the opposite of that, where we've seen places that that there's almost this air of one-upsmanship, so you can't let your guard down. Uh, Maybe it's not just that. There's there's a sense that um, everyone has to wear the mask. And so when you think about this, you as a leader will never be able to help 
the needs of people if they don't feel safe exposing and expressing those needs to you. The other thing is what happens in group, and this is a very important thing, as you think about it, one of the ways that you can cultivate a safety, and Evan's going to give you some more here in a moment, but another thing is to recognize that what happens in your group needs to be, it needs to stay in your group, right? This is like Las Vegas without the sin, okay? <laughs> so when, some of you will get that later. So here's the way it works. In your group, one of the best things you can do is simply state that fact. Say, listen, this is a place that is safe. We will not share outside of this room what you share in this room. And then, remember, leaders are not simply leaders because of the fact that they have authority, but leaders are leaders because they lead the way. And so one of the ways that I've seen great leaders do this is then they are the first to be honest they say, I'm going to take a risk, and I'm going to share what's on my heart or in my life. And it tells the rest of the group, it is safe. Isn't it interesting, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he went to the garden, and he was so worried, he did not puff out his chest and say, well, I'm the leader, I'm the man, I'm not going to let anyone know I'm upset. What does he do? He says to three of his best friends, he says, would you come and just be with me? I'm so upset. I'm so anxious. If our God in human flesh can do that, how much more is it valuable that we do that for one another? Does this make sense? Uh, Evan, what are some other ways that we can build safety? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of go off that, the whole idea of, I mean, you, you we're modeling vulnerability, right? And, and again, no one likes to feel vulnerable. Um, but, but leading the way for us as leaders um, or for us as leaders, leading the way in that is, is something that is incredibly important to, to break down those barriers and to make a place feel safe. But along with that, something else we have to model is we have to, in this culture especially, we have to learn how to disagree. You will never see, you will never see a worse fight than in church basketball or two Christians arguing about the scripture. I mean, right? You have seen some, you know, knockdown, dragout fights between people, and you know we're not here to 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 discuss the the merits and whatever of of what Jesus said in this verse or here or there. But the idea is this, and um, Dale said this to me the other day when we were at lunch. We live in kind of this this social media culture where we can perfectly cultivate all of our feeds on Facebook or Twitter, or Instagram, or all the other thousand things, to look just like everybody on that same page thinks like we do, they look like we do, they have the same thoughts, beliefs, and everything, and if they don't, we literally click a button, and we unfollow them, or we unfriend them, and we have honestly, we have lost the art of learning how to disagree, of learning how to fight well. I mean, that's one of the things I remember in, our, in marriage counseling that our counselor told us, you have to learn how to fight productively, which feels like an oxymoron. And hopefully you're not going to be fighting, fighting in small group, but you need to have a culture, you need to have this atmosphere in your group where people know if someone says something and they have an opposite opinion, that it's, it's okay to voice that opposite opinion. And maybe there is a third opposite or, or a fourth. I guess you can't have more than two opposites because that's just wrong. But it's this idea that we have to make sure that we are learning. And I think it's especially hard 
in this culture of you know hot takes and mic drops and everything has to be said in 140 characters on Twitter, we have to learn how to better be able to disagree with one another when it comes to this. Um, one practical way that I think this is, is good to do is to use what is called a group covenant. Um, you guys should have an example of one. It should be the other sheet that's there. Connor and Aniston helped pass these out on all the chairs, so if you don't have one, I will blame them. Um, so the, the idea of a group covenant Next is... Next we're going to talk about leaders who take responsibility. Mm -hmm. Okay, continue. <laughs> I, des I deserve that. <clears throat> I deserve that. So the idea of a group covenant is, is basically a set of agreements that, that come together. And, and I know a few of you have some, some pretty humorous stories about group covenants uh, that I will not share from the stage. But, um, and you know who you are, the idea of a group covenant is, is one where people come together, they agree on a set of expectations for the group. And, and you can read the one that you have, go down through there, uh, and there, there are so many things on there that when you have everyone agreeing to that, the most important thing you do there is you set expectations, and you guys know that, so much about being safe and so much about being intentional and things like this is to make sure that you have set expectations. Uh, some of the things, and this is just, uh, this is free, and you're, you know, you're not paying for this anyway, but some of the things, I, jot this down on there really quick, on your group covenant. Some other things that are really good to have on a group covenant are exactly what time and for how long you're meeting. Uh, we had a great example of that this past Sunday night. Uh, I love our small group, and we're fantastic. We have a lot of young kids in our group, and we usually go from five to seven, and it hit 8.30, and we were all not happy with one another. We loved each other still, but, you know, and that's something that would have been better to talk about beforehand. Uh, something else, what you're going to do with children, if you have children. Um, you know, we are blessed here in our church family that uh, the church reimburses us for babysitting, but you guys know what a, and I mean this lovingly, barrier children can be to, to having some of those uh, important discussions. So th those, are, those are two things, or three things maybe, when you're meeting, for how long you're meeting, and, and what to do with the kids. And you know, I, I think about my wife being a teacher. These group covenants are, are important for a couple reasons. One, as a teacher making rules in the classroom, Rachel has a set of things that she wants to make sure her class does. Those are kind of the non-negotiables. But also, any good teacher is going to let the class be a part of that rulemaking system. You know, it, it helps them to feel empowered. It helps them to feel ownership of those things. And so, um, I, I totally realize that group covenants are not for everybody. And I realize that um, in some situations, like if you sit down with uh, a bunch of guys once a week for work, pulling out a group covenant would be really awkward. Um, it could be kind of weird, but in the context of things like small group and things like that, a group covenant is, is a really simple way to make sure that those expectations of keeping your group safe, as well as some other fantastic expectations, are out on the table. That's great. One last thing there, and you know, Evan, I, I was thinking about this, and we've sort of touched on it already, is just the idea of modeling the vulnerability. and. Um, you know, a lot of us, here's the reality, and we're going to get into this some over the next few weeks on Sundays, but the reality is, since the Garden of Eden, we all have been struggling with hiding. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God, they sinned against one another, they sinned against creation, everything is broken, and what is the very first thing that they go and do? 
They hide. The reality is, group is both beautiful because it helps reestablish the way things were supposed to be, but it's hard because we're all still in the process of coming out from hiding. That's what, it's sort of a progressive vulnerability. And as you demonstrate the safetyness or the safeness of it, uh, that will help. Hold on, vulnerability. Something like that. It will help others as they see you doing that as well. Uh, Let me give you one other category here as we're kind of coming to a close, and I want you to kind of key in on this last thing. We've talked about being present, being safe, but I want to give you one last little piece here, not just be safe, but also you want to add this word, be welcoming. Be welcoming. When we talk about emotional health, part of being an emotionally healthy Christ follower is that we have an open door attitude towards others. By the way, um, anyone in here just, uh, you you were born already a Christian, already completely immersed and connected and perfectly involved in church? Anyone already a Christian before you even were hatched? No, no. Here's the reality. Every one of us at one time, to varying degrees, was an outsider, whether it's the church or a Bible class. How many of you remember the first Sunday maybe you showed up here and went to service or a class or some? I remember very vividly my first Sunday. The reality is every one of us was at one time an outsider and someone in this church invited us in. And so when we talk about being safe, I don't want to overlook the reality that we're also called to be welcoming. So let me, in the context of groups, let me give you just a couple things. When we think about how to be welcoming, number one, and this is going to, some of you, you're going to go, I like everything except for what you're saying, Josh, and you're going to turn me out, that's okay, but let me just put it up here anyway. To be safe and welcoming, make having a closed group, meaning where you're not inviting new people, make having a closed group the exception. Make being a closed group the exception. Make saying, we're, we're, this is us, we're not going to have others. And by the way, there's, you can invite people in to be with you physically and yet to keep your arm and hand out to them relationally within that group, right? We've seen this. But have you ever been in a group where, yeah, I mean, you were in the circle, but you weren't in the circle? And so let me give you three things on this. Now, now, there are three caveats real fast here. When we think about closed groups, there will be three exceptions to what I just said here in the life of a group. Three times or three categories where having a closed group may not only be a good thing, but a necessary thing. And you may want to jot these down real quick. Number one, if your group is facing some sort of crisis or major challenge, that would be a time that you may need to close your group for a season. So for instance, um, you know, in some of our groups, people will be facing infertility issues or a miscarriage or other issues like that, and they need some time of healing and bringing a new family in where you need to be more open and focused on the new family may not be appropriate for that season. So for a season of crisis, number two, if you're telling your stories, about once a year, we encourage our groups to reacquaint one another with the story of how they came to faith and how God has been working in their lives over the past year. For some groups, that is a time that they will want to close the group for greater intimacy and and, and connection. 
Other groups, and I will just tell you, some groups may say, no, we, we want mm -hmm. to invite people in right before we do our stories so that we give them an, a window into who we are. Mm -hmm. But this is just a matter of preference based on the maturity and life st stage of the groups. So number one is a crisis. Number two is telling your story. The third time that you may necessarily need to have a closed group is when this group is too big. This is an obvious one. If you have more people than you have space, then by definition, the group is closed. Now, one of the ways that we like to work on that is to always be finding ways to send people out to multiply groups. That's not the focus for tonight. We can get into that at another point. But those would be three times where closed groups would be necessary for a season, perhaps. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, why don't you uh, jump in here, Evan? The, uh, well, actually, let me, let me sort of close the loop here real fast here. The second thing on this, how to make it safe and welcoming, is discuss the expectations with both parties. What I mean by that is this. When you do open your group for new people, when you are intentionally inviting someone in, make it clear, this is where you go back through the group covenant, you pull it back out, and you are reacquainting both your group and introducing the new person or people to what it looks like to be a safe, welcoming, present group. And what that will do is two things. Number one, it will help that new person feel like they are a part of the group. You, you've ever walked into a group where they all know the inside jokes, all the things, and you feel like an outsider even though they've invited you in. Going back through that helps. The second thing, though, is it will drill down more deeply into the hearts of those members that are in the group what is important. Okay? Uh, so before we, before we close out tonight, the one thing I wanted to say, this idea of leading someone to take a next step, um, I, I think about people in the jungle, and I promise this has a point, but if let's, you have a party of people and you're in the jungle and you're trying to get from point A to point B, most likely, because jungles are scary, you're going to have a leader of that group who is kind of making that path for you, right? They, you are the person, uh, or that leader is the person probably with the machete, and they're, you know, they're taking out all the limbs and the trees in front of you, and, and they're making a path for everybody else. We cannot, whether they be emotionally, spiritually, in every other walk of life, we cannot make people take steps. We cannot cause movement. But if you look at that, that metaphor of the person going through the jungle, there, there's two things that that person is doing. Number one that person themselves are walking down a path in a sense of modeling. We've talked a lot about modeling tonight, but the second thing that they are doing is they, to the best of their ability, are removing obstacles for the rest of their people to take their own steps, right? Because we can't make people take steps, but they are doing everything they can to remove any obstacles to help people take their own steps. And so when we put this in the context of being able to lead people to take their next steps emotionally, when we're present for people, then we are removing every obstacle that we can for them to feel left out, for them to feel like they don't have a support group. When we're safe, we are removing every obstacle for them to not be able to bear their soul, to not be able to get these things off their chest, because the hope is that we can help get them to a point to where they can take their own step. And so, you know, I, I just, 
I thought about that earlier, and, and I wanted to throw that out there. But that's, that's the idea of, of leadership here. That's, the, that's what it means. So for the next, I think we have four minutes left probably, here's what I would like you guys to do. And, and when, when I say go, please feel free to move your chairs around, circle up, because circles are better than rows. Come back Sunday. Josh will tell you why. Um, move your chairs, move them around, do what you have to do. But I would love for you to, to talk with the people there and answer two questions. These two questions are on the bottom of your page. And you can write your answers down. I would, I would love for you to do that. Here are the two questions. If you viewed your group, whatever your group is, if you viewed your group as the primary source for leading others or leading each other to take their next steps emotionally, number one, what things are you already doing well to accomplish that? And number two, what things could you do better? We were, we were afraid that we were going to have to uh, move this into the worship center which I'm glad that we didn't, even though we're all kind of hot and sweaty. Maybe that's just me. But we're all in here together, and that's, that's what we wanted because we wanted this, this atmosphere. Um, so someone who wasn't here tonight, tell them it was terrible so they don't come next week. Totally joking. Um, hey, seriously, again, and I just want to reiterate, the reason we feel so compelled to do this is because there is a huge responsibility on, on, on our hearts, I know on the heart of, of our shepherds here, um, that if God is going to send us people, we need to be as ready as we can to take care of them, to hold their hand, to lead them through the jungle with a machete, well, like whatever image you want. We need to be as ready as we can to make sure that we are removing every barrier, whether that's the barrier of logistics, the barrier of making them feel, or that they, they don't feel wanted or accepted or that they have a place, but to do everything that we can to make sure that the people God is sending us, and that, you know, no one else is sending them, God is, that we can take care of them. So I want to pray over you guys. Uh, again, thank you so much, and hopefully we will see you guys back next week. Let's pray. God, we come to you again, and we are so thankful. God, it's, it's a little daunting, honestly, um, the fact that you trust us. It, that's kind of scary um, because I, I know me, and I know the things that I do well and the things I don't do well. But the fact is, I, honestly, for years now, Father, you have continued to send us people. You felt like that, that this was the place for them, and so I'm, I'm so excited about the fact that we get to start to really drill down on how to take care of these gifts, these, these souls that you're sending us, Father. And, and as we go out through our week, not just the people that you send here, but the people that you send and put it in our path, whether it be at the store or at work or, or the parents of, um, of kids that, that our kids are friends with, God, you keep sending us people in every aspect of our life, God. And so I pray that we can just continue to feel that responsibility and, and honestly, that, that burden, but in a good way, to take care of them, to do everything that we need to do so that we can point them to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.